0: Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Let's read verses 16 through 20. And then we'll skip over to chapter 2 and read verses 13 through 17. That'll be our split text for today. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that's Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Verse 13 of chapter 2, interestingly, he's by the sea again. Seems to be a fruitful place to find disciples. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? By the way, it's never wise to have a side discussion with Jesus present because he's on it. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is a lamp to our path, a light to our feet, we thank you that it is quick and powerful, alive and active. It cuts to our hearts and exposes who we are. And when it does that, we see ourselves in some, some troubling ways. But we are thankful that you didn't come to call people who thought they had it all together. You came to call sinners. And we admit this morning Or both that we can feel self-righteous sometimes, but that we are definitely sinners. We pray that as you call us, that we would follow. It it really is a simple yes or no. But it's hard. And sometimes it takes us to places that, that we just really struggle to go. And so we pray that whatever you are doing in each heart this morning, you would do all your will. And as you've begun this work in me this week, would you you spread it throughout this church family and all those who are here this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How many of you like being singled out? It's pretty awesome, isn't it? right. When uh, I remember when I was in high school, um, that I had a a tendency to talk during class. I don't know if any any of you else, any of the rest of you had this problem. Like I blame it on um, that I had already learned what was being taught, so I wanted to have another conversation. (laughs) There really was no explanation for it. It was disruptive. It was uh, disrespectful. It was unkind. It was all those things. It didn't feel that way to me as a high schooler, but it certainly was. Um, And so every once in a while, a teacher will be teaching, and then they would randomly say your name. You know, you got singled out. They're like, and this is our science illustration, Matt, uh, right? That's a very uncomfortable moment. (laughs) You can't wait for that class to get over. Sometimes people get singled out because they're in trouble like that. Um, Sometimes you even get your whole name shared uh, loud and clear. Remember getting in trouble one time as a teenager. And I was out down the road from my house playing at the basketball court. And my dad opened the front door, which we never used, and yelled my entire name. And I knew it was real bad. (laughs) Sometimes you get singled out in an entertainment context. I don't know if any of you have ever had this experience where there's a performance going on. And they need someone up on stage, right? And somehow they pick you. And you're coming up on stage. That, That can be fun, right? Sometimes you get singled out because somebody's making fun of you. That's pretty awful, right? Somebody's picking on you and, uh, or uh, just, just singling you out, making, making fun of you. And I think most of us, when we get singled out, just want to crawl under a rock somewhere and hope that it passes by. But, but there are actually good reasons to be singled out, maybe for recognition, for, for some success, although some of you are even like, I don't even like that. Like, even if it's good, please don't make me come up in front of anybody. But, but there are actually times where someone is trying to help you, and they single you out. This week, uh, the school that I work at was playing in the state volleyball tournament, and uh, Kevin was coaching. And I, I know Kevin's coaching style a little bit. I've witnessed it. And uh, Kevin, will, Kevin will push pretty hard, especially... On the girls on the team who are, who are key and who are good. And he won't hesitate when needed to call them out. But he's not calling them out to make fun of them or be mean. He's not calling them out to embarrass them. He's actually calling them out. Why? To push them, to help them to see that, to, to step forward, to, to do better. And he knows they can. And so sometimes that means he goes, hey, As we encounter this moment with Jesus, these two moments, we actually see Jesus singling out or doubling out, in a couple cases, some people. And he's doing it for good reason. He's doing it because he wants to call them to action. He wants to push them further. And so what we see in these verses is what we could call the powerful call of. Of Jesus it actually started back in verse verses 14 and 15 look at those verses with me if you would now after John was arrested Mark 1 14 and 15 Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand here's his call repent and believe the gospel This is the foundational call that Jesus makes to all people. The good news is that salvation, forgiveness of sin, eternal life can be found in him. But it's not something that everyone just gets because Jesus died and rose again. It's actually something that you have to accept. You have to say, I recognize I'm a sinner. I'll turn from my sin. I'll repent, that's the word, and believe. And Jesus starts with that general call to all. But then that call deepens in verses 16 through 20. See, Jesus is far more than some figure from history that we learn about, like George Washington, Shakespeare, or Mother Teresa. He is the very Son of God. And His entrance into the world means that all men everywhere have to make decisions about how they live. They must make decisions about what they will do with Jesus. And so, as we've seen in the first uh, 13 verses of this book, Jesus has come as the very Son of God, fully God, fully man. He's been affirmed in his baptism, the way has been led by John the Baptist. He's exercised his authority over sin, verses 12 and 13, and he shared an authoritative message. And we sang about him this morning as the king. But, but kings have authority. Now, now, you can live in a kingdom and deny their authority. It doesn't change the reality. Jesus Christ is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you can deny that, you can ignore that, you can avoid that, you can pretend it's not real, you can pretend it's virtual reality, but it's not. Jesus is really the king of kings. He's really the Lord of lords. He has authority and he doesn't just have authority in some vague way, he actually has personal authority. And so he calls us. He calls everyone to repent and believe. But then he calls his followers to follow. What do we notice about this call in these verses? First, we notice that Jesus calls followers personally. That's what we see in the first story here. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon... And Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus calls followers that he knows personally. Now, now it didn't take much investigation to know their occupation. You could see they, they were casting nets into the sea. By the way, when you, when you think fishermen here, don't think pole and line. You know, don't think rod and reel. Think net. <laughs> Big net, cast, drug in, cast again, drug in. Very, very labor intensive. But Jesus knew these men. He knew their occupation. It's a fascinating study and not one we will do this morning. If you just examine the 12 disciples of Jesus and their occupation. Jesus was not going to Harvard and Princeton to find followers. Jesus was going to the seashore. To the working class, to ordinary people. You might say the insignificant. He knew them personally. It's interesting in both these stories that they make reference to what these people did to uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and then also to Matthew. What they did, who their family was, right? Brothers, fathers. Jesus calls followers that he knows. He knows you. This is one of the things, right, that just blows my mind about God's all-knowingness. They, they say that a, in a church that you can personally have a solid relationship with about 150 people. And it's not just limited church. It's kind of that way in organizations. Once you grow past about 150 people, it starts to become challenging to, to know everyone. Or to feel like you know them well, and as I look around this room, there are many of you that I'm like, okay, I know them, I know what they do, I know where they live. We're just having a a conversation about Suncrest area and Draper. You know, it's just like up on the hill. We're I I know I'm. You get to know people, right? We're having the Palmers over for dinner tonight because um, we want to do some very serious conversation about the Bible, and watch the Red Sox, right? So we're having the Palmers over because Randy's a big Red Sox fan, and and you start, you get to know people, but, but I have limits, and so do you, don't you? Like, you ever been part of a workplace or a church family or some organization where just grew to a place where you're like, I don't even know everybody anymore, and so you kind of, you get to this place, where you're like, I know this side of the room, right? If I sit up here, then over there, maybe someday I'll get to know, but, right? We have limits. I can't even fathom how God knows all the people in the world. And Matthew tells us down to the very hair on our head. And that he knew us before we were born. And that he shaped us in the womb. Like, there's incredible stuff there. Jesus calls people he knows. By the way, that means he knows all the yucky stuff too. Ever think about that? That that Jesus knows the stuff that happens in the dark. He knows the stuff that tracks through our minds that I'm really glad other people don't know. He knows the nature of your relationship with your spouse, with your kids. He knows your skills and your strengths. He knows you down to every little hair on your head. And so as Jesus walked by the seashore, he called these men who he knew personally. And they were fishermen. We had an Indian missionary from the country of India who came to our church when we were in Indiana. And uh, we had a men's event, and we were out at uh, some people's house, and uh, we were fishing. And he was high-caste. In India. His family had a very long history. They were very well known. If you said his very lengthy last name, everybody knew that meant, you know, your family means something. And he joked at the men's activity. He said, I didn't know you guys were all so low caste. You were fishing. That's like down here somewhere. You know, it's always been true in society that there are places that are prestigious and there are places that are perceived as ordinary. I mean, we have this in our own church family. Of the people who joined last week, we have a couple who are both optometrists. Ooh, right? I was like, you're both doctors? Whoa, (laughs) right? And they're kind of like, I wish you hadn't said that, right? Because I don't want to be singled out. I just singled them out. (laughs) Nice. And then in that group of people that joined, we have a truck driver. And you know what our humanness does? We go, "Uh uh-huh. He just drives a truck. But you know the great comfort of Jesus is that he's he's not impressed the way we're impressed. He doesn't find prestige in the places that we find prestige. You're no better before God because you're an electrician or because you're a congressman. Wait, that was a bad illustration. Uh, (laughs) There's no accident here that Jesus calls fishermen and he knows them. There is no one in this room too ordinary or subordinary for Jesus. He knows you personally. But it's interesting that Jesus' call is a call to follow him personally. Look at verse 17. And Jesus said to them, two little words, but don't miss them, follow me Jesus didn't even say, follow the kingdom. He didn't say, follow my teaching. He said, follow me. This is the essence of our Christian life, is more and more and more following Jesus. And by the way, if we're not careful, we can get off onto those other things, can't we? We, we can get off onto a fascination with Jesus' teaching or Jesus' miracles. Or we can even get, get to a place where we just have a fascination with this book. This, this book was never meant to be the point. It was always meant to point to the point. It, it was always meant to tell us it's about Jesus. It's about a right relationship with God. It's about the Holy Spirit. It's about walking in the Spirit every day. It's about you and God in relationship. It's not, I, I was in high school, they used to have Bible quizzing. And people would memorize like books of the Bible, which is a good thing. But there's high schoolers who would sit there and they'd be like, what's the fourth word in 1 Timothy chapter two? Three. And there were like six kids, out. would stand up. They'd be like, go, write. We can become so fascinated with, with the book that we miss the author. We can even become so fascinated in this study of Mark that we get away from Jesus. And what Jesus is saying is, follow me. Now that's interesting because the men he's calling to follow him, if you trace the story through John's gospel, have probably already believed on him. But, but he's assuming that they need this reminder and they need to take this step of really following Jesus. I love the way one pastor said it. Jesus is both saying, Follow me, and he is saying, Follow me. There is me and there is my mission. There is a person and there is a path. Jesus was not trying to merely educate people about God or motivate people to live better lives, right? This wasn't about your best life now. He wasn't trying to heal people who are sick merely. He was calling people into a whole life transforming relationship with himself. He intends to transform the lives of his followers who in turn point others to him to transform their lives. How did these men respond? Both sets of brothers in these verses. Verse 18, Simon and Andrew immediately, Mark loves that word. 10 times in chapter one, it's immediately. Jesus, what's happening is happening quickly. And if we think about it, everything that we have, and John tells us we're not even close to all the stories, happens in three years, it's just. And Mark is just an action guy, so it's just happening. But he says about these men that their characteristic followed what he tells us about Jesus. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. He went on a little farther, called James and John, Verse 20, and immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. They didn't even have a family discussion about this. They left him in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. There is a personal cost to following Jesus. But, but I wonder if, if you follow him this way. Because I don't always follow him this way. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has to kind of keep knocking on the door of my heart. He has, he has to keep bringing things around into my life. Does this ever happen to you? Right? I'm not always a first responder. Sometimes I'm like a 30th responder. <laughs> when we talk about following Jesus, and when the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and when God is getting your attention about something, this is the model. I have a son who's learning to obey. It is not always the first time. Isn't that frustrating? You're like, this is not complicated. I said we are going to put on your shoes. Not my shoes, my Crocs. No, your shoes. Your Crocs come off your feet. We're going to the park. We're putting on your shoes. Not my shoes. Tim, this is not going to end well. I can already feel it. And we work and work. And as a parent, man, I'm just like, why is this so hard? And then I'm humbled. Because God works in my life and says, hey, do this. Obey me here. Talk to this person. Go here. And I go, not there! He comes back around. Talk to this person. Not him. They left their nets. There was a cost. right? It was a big cost. They, some of them closed businesses. Some of them left parents hanging. But Jesus said, follow me. He calls us to follow him personally. We actually have a family right now who believes that their next step of faith in following Jesus is to move out here and become part of Gospel Hope Church. They're a young couple. They've been here a couple times. I know Danny's talked about them. You ever take steps of faith and then God just blows you away with what he does? So they were praying. They've been praying for a year, year and a half. I mean, a while. And so we're praying with them. Uh, They came out in the spring, I think, and then they came out again um, this summer. And this fall, they're finally like, okay, we're gonna put our house on the market. You ever put your house on the market because you know it's what God wants you to do? We've, we've done that. It's terrifying. Especially when you don't know what's next. Because houses are safe. You know, careers are safe. And then you're like, I'm going to step out here, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. So they put their house on the market this fall in Pennsylvania. Okay, FYI, Pennsylvania, not quite as hot a housing market as Salt Lake City. Rural Pennsylvania, too, I think. It's sold in 24 hours. Bam. They're like, "Whoop! I think God is in this. But bigger than selling a house is their relationship with his parents. His dad's had a family business for a long time and their son is on track to, to take the family business from dad. But it's gonna be really hard to take the family business from Salt Lake City. But they know that God is saying to them, in this area of life, follow me. And so I just wonder for you this morning, are there areas of your life where Jesus is saying to you, follow me? It doesn't mean you have to move across the country. Please don't everyone quit your jobs tomorrow. It's not the point of this text. The point is that we're either following Jesus or we're not And even after we've come to know him as our savior, we're living out what it means to follow him as our Lord. And see, he's not just saying to us once, hey, follow me. He's actually saying it to us every day and at times in life, he's saying it to you in significant ways. Follow me. He calls his followers personally. But notice in the second story in Mark chapter two that Jesus calls his followers personally purposefully that's a mouthful isn't it with purpose if you want to get all the rest of it off look at chapter 2 verse 13 jesus went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them and as he passed by he saw levi the son of Alphaeus again knew him sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and he rose and followed him. Remember back in verse 17 of chapter one that Jesus said, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. He's actually illustrating it in this story, right? The, the fishermen I think would have caught the analogy, but now Jesus is showing us what that looks like and he's calling a tax collector. The Jews viewed tax collectors as sellouts. They they had sold their soul to the Roman Empire, who the Jews hated, to collect taxes for them. They were mercenaries. And so they would collect taxes for the Roman Empire. And the deal was, the Romans said to them, collect this much in taxes. You need to collect $1,000 in taxes. But whatever that person could manage to collect beyond $1,000 was take-home pay. So guess what Jewish tax collectors were known for? Ripping people off. And they were ripping their own people off. On behalf of the Romans, they were much loved. And Jesus steps right into that world and powerfully calls a tax collector. Jesus calls followers who are sinners Now, Isaiah 53 reminds us that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Romans 3.10, that none of us is righteous. By the way, which is an interesting statement when you think about what Jesus said at the end of this story in chapter two. But Jesus intentionally calls sinners. Why does he do that? Because this place, these people are where God delights to call followers. He said, I will make you to become fishers of men. And if you trace the life of Jesus, you'll see that he's almost always with people that you don't expect him to be with. Why? Because just like the Jews, we have this idea of where uh, spiritual people hang out. Who spiritual people hang out with. And Jesus just blew that all up. To the point that the religious and spiritually respected people of his day couldn't handle what he was doing. I was talking to a, a missionary to Zambia, a friend of mine, a couple of years ago. And, and he, we were talking about this idea of intentionally reaching people. And he said to me, Matt, who's the last pastor you heard about accused of spending too much time with sinners? I was like, not me, that's convicting. And God convicted me about this in my own life a while ago. And I, before I say this, I, I, want, I want us to understand something. We are all sinners. Okay, let me just say that super clear. Um, just because I am two steps higher than you, one, two does not imply on any level that I am less a sinner than you are. We are all sinners. Now that's a simple truth that goes really deep. But, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that's still a sinner with some blessing of God's grace. But we are not going to meet people who need Jesus in mass in this room. That, that need Jesus in salvation to forgive them of their sins. Okay, We all need Jesus. Please don't walk out and go, Matt said well, we aren't going to meet people who need, need Jesus in this room. We all need Jesus. But we are not going to meet people within our Christian circles, our, our comfortable lunches, our Christian school workplaces, we, we are not going to meet an abundance of people who need Jesus, savingly. We are going to meet those people where they are. When Colleen and I were in Steamboat Springs, I worked at an architecture firm, and our architecture firm decided that they wanted to play, have a team in a co-ed softball league. That was exciting. We were terrible. It was Thursday nights. FYI, still in the work week. And we played double headers. Either 7-8 or 9-10. Thankfully, no Tim at that point, so it was still. But, but at least in Colorado, they called those essentially beer league softball Leagues, beer leagues, softball leagues. Yep. You know where we met there. People who need Jesus. You say, but I would be uncomfortable there. Verse fifteen. And as Matthew reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Can I tell you who's not uncomfortable in the presence of sinners? Jesus. And aren't you thankful for that? Because somehow, God's temple is me. And the Holy Spirit lives in this mess. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus is telling his followers, this is how you fish for men. You get comfortable in places like this. It doesn't mean that you engage or participate in sinful behavior just to make friends. But it means that you willingly get into the lives of people who it is evident that they probably don't know Jesus. And it really doesn't matter what other people think of you. See, isn't that where we get hung up? Well, what will people think of me? And that's what the religious leaders did. They criticized Jesus. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus kind of threw it right back at them. Verse 17, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is comfortably present in the everyday lives of people. Sometimes I wonder how his early followers felt. You ever been in a place that makes you uncomfortable? With people that make you uncomfortable? I have. Jesus wants his followers going to those people and learning how to be in those places. He's called us. Do you realize when Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men? He could have said a lot of other things. Right? He could have said, Follow me, and I will teach you how to be holy. He could have said, Follow me, and I will show you how to be wise. He could have said, Follow me, and I'll put you in this safe place. He didn't. He said, follow me and I will let you leave fishing and make you fishers of men. And this isn't just an early theme of Jesus. It runs all the way through his time on earth. All the way till the end when he says, uh, share the gospel, baptize people, make disciples who have learned everything that I've taught you. It's who Jesus is. It's really pretty simple. He meets people. He makes a connection and then he talks to them about spiritual reality. The woman at the well, Nicodemus, the multitudes, he's just with them, even if it makes respected and religious people uncomfortable. But notice the impact. As Matthew follows Jesus and as Jesus spends time with these people, verse 15, and as Matthew reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Isn't this cool? Right, there's two many's in there. See it? Verse 15. Many tax collectors and sinners were spending time with Jesus. It gives us the idea that Jesus and his disciples were seriously outnumbered, and Jesus was fine with that. And then many of those people were following Jesus. And Jesus told us why. They knew knew that they needed him. You ever go fishing in a bad place? I'm a terrible fisherman, like real, real bad. Like every place I go is bad fishing. I just make donations to the fishing, you know, wildlife or whoever they are. They're like, you need $8 to have a license for today. And I'm like, great, here's $8. But you'll catch fish. No, I won't. (laughs) It's free. (laughs) Please send Travis. (laughs) You know, I don't know. And I go fishing with people who catch fish. Nothing. I'm like, I pull up a sunfish every so often. It's like this big. Like I caught something. They're like, throw it back. (laughs) We are not eating that. I wonder sometimes as Christians if God has called us to be fishers of men and we're just scared to go or unwilling to go or worried too much about what other people think to go. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. The call of Jesus is personal, it's purposeful, but it demands a response. Go to Mark chapter 10. See, these disciples, these who followed Jesus, weren't the only ones that Jesus called to follow him. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the man said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. True or false? False, none of us have done that. Jesus doesn't even contest that statement, he just moves on. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come do what? Follow me. Disheartened by the saying, this man went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You know, there are many ways to say no to Jesus. All you have to do to say no to Jesus is add a condition to following him. I'll follow you after I do this. I'll follow you Uh, as long as it doesn't uh, infringe upon this. People in the Gospels found all kinds of ways to say no to Jesus. This man loves something too much to follow Jesus. Jesus meets with three would-be disciples and talks to them about following him, and they say, we have other priorities than following Jesus. The people from Jesus' hometown have unresolved questions about Jesus and won't follow him. The religious leaders think they know a better way than Jesus, Back in Mark chapter 2, if you don't want to follow Jesus, all you have to do is think you're good enough not to need him. There's lots of ways to say no to following Jesus. But there's only one way to say yes to Jesus with no strings attached. John 10 verses 24 through 27 says this, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. So I have a real simple couple questions this morning as we conclude. Is Jesus calling you? I would suspect, I don't know how many people we have in the room, probably a hundred. Then we probably have a hundred down the back hallway. (laughs) Holy cow. It's crazy. I would suspect in a room this size there are some who have never answered Jesus' call in verse 15 of Mark 1. Repent and believe in the gospel. You've never acknowledged that you're a sinner that Jesus died to save you from your sin, rose from the dead, to pay the price that you could never pay. And he's calling you. And you know it. He, 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 the the Holy Spirit, is convicting your heart. You are probably like someone singled out, uncomfortable even in this moment. And not because I'm preaching at you, that's what God does through his word. He makes you feel like you're the only person in the room. And you go, yes, I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I can do to save myself. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can I, can I beg you this morning if Jesus is calling you? Don't wait. None of us knows how long our life will be. We don't know what happens when we walk through that door or get in that car. Don't wait. Don't push Jesus away. If he's calling you, see that as his kindness to you and say, yes. No strings attached. I don't know where that goes. I don't know what it'll cost. I don't know who it'll impact, but I choose Jesus. Is he calling you? Maybe you say, I know I've come to repent and believe. Well, I wonder, like the disciples, is Jesus calling you in some area of your life to follow him in a new way or in a deeper way or in a fuller way? Is there a friend or coworker or neighbor That he's actually calling you to be bold and talk to them about Jesus. To just have them over for dinner. Is there a weariness, mom, in your heart as you fish for your children? And God is saying, keep following me. Even though they say, I want my Crocs. See, you're actually in this Reality as a disciple of Jesus, moms, every single day. You, you have sinful souls in your house and I don't even have to convince you of that. You're living it. And you're like, in some days, I wish I weren't. Is Jesus saying, keep following me? Is there a sin he is exposing? Is there a place he wants you to invest more Is there something He wants you to give up and you know it? Is He calling you to follow Him? Or is He reminding you today of why He called you? Have you become distracted from following Him? It's easy to fall in and out of relationship with Jesus. And I I don't mean eternally. (laughs) I don't mean savingly. I just mean to get your focus distracted. I mean, just take your own Bible reading. And I don't have to stand up here and say, you should spend time in God's word every day because we all know it. But don't we get distracted? Isn't that snooze button so attractive? And you know it. Follow me. Or have you become disengaged from fishing for men? Listen, this is the central reason outside of relationship with him that Jesus calls you to follow him. It's so that you can be a light in a dark world. It's so that you can be salt. It's so that you can care about people. It's so that you can tell them about Jesus because God has you right in your neighborhood just where he wants you. We were talking about this Thursday night in our community group time, which, man, if you, if you haven't been able to come to that, you should come. I, I say that, and we're not having one this Thursday, but you should come next Thursday. But Kevin was talking to a man um, who, who was a church planter, uh, and he was saying, uh, I focused on uh, two families, two houses next to me on the right, two on the left, two in front of me, and two behind me. I was like, look at that. That's doable. That's doable. Or maybe it's the person in the cubicle next to you. Maybe it's the other parent on the soccer team. Or maybe it's just like I've been convicted this week that I need to get myself out there. Because sometimes when you're a pastor and your job is at a Christian school, it can be hard to get out there. But this is what Jesus has called us to. And he's serious about it. Is he calling you Is he reminding you today of why he called you? Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are gracious and kind to call us. Or sometimes we do feel singled out. Sometimes it is intense. Sometimes it's hard. But we're just thankful that you haven't left us as we are. And we acknowledge that you are the king. And it is our heart's desire to follow you wherever that may lead. In Christ's name we pray, amen.